coming back tomorrow at the very least Sri Lanka, travelling back. At least some of them will be. Uh, Phil is speaking at uh, Pastor Diddy's church this morning. You remember uh, Diddy came uh, a month or so ago, a couple of months ago, and shared with us with his wife. He got caught up in the, the cycling that particular morning, was late in arriving. Well, Phil's speaking in his church today. Um, some of us had the privilege of uh, being able to share with a lovely fellowship there. And then tomorrow, uh, Phil and uh, Abigail and uh, Jimmy and Sarah will be returning. But I think Daphne's getting up very early to the, uh, to the airport and is travelling over to Thailand for a week and is staying there. She much, very much value your prayers. She knows where she's staying, but she doesn't know how she's going to get to and from uh, the centre there, from the uh, flat where they're staying at into the centre of grace there um, and wonders whether she'll be by herself or whether there'll be someone else in the flat so do continue for traveling mercies tomorrow for those that are coming back uh, and uh, uh, Caroline's daughter Kate is going on to the Maldives for another week so the team is splitting up and going into different directions tomorrow so do remember them in your prayers well as Marcus said last week that um, uh, we had sharing, Andrew shared with us about the good soil. And uh, earlier on in that day, uh, in the morning that we were there, Esther shared a word about tapping into the living water. And Andrew shared about the need for the water to come upon that soil to bring about that fruitfulness that we're praying for. And I want to pick up on that theme this morning. We've heard it a number of times, and Paul has brought it, that we need to step into that flow of the river of God. We need to step into the flow of the river water. And so I want to share with you the living water this morning. And we'll be looking primarily at the Gospel uh, of um, John, chapter 4. If you want to uh, look in your uh, own version, in your written forms, or on your uh, electronic forms, just to look through. But this morning I want you to start using divine imagination. God has given us imagination and therefore we can use it in the right way. And so God wants us to use our imagination, godly imagination this morning. This story many of you will recall and know quite well about the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Jesus goes to Samaria. Just imagine that being brought up to date. Bring it into today's age. Bring it into a modern type of situation. Close your eyes if you like. Look at some of the words in the screen if you're not familiar with the story or look on your Bible and start using your imagination because God wants you to be involved in this story this morning. You see, Jesus, just as he had to go through Samaria, Jesus has to go through Perivale. He has to go through West London. Verse 4, he had to go there. He comes to a place in this area of Perivale where Café Rendezvous is. He comes to this particular location. 
He doesn't have to go, in some sense. It's not a physical necessity that he has to come to Perivale. He could have gone round the M25. Or he could have gone straight along the A40. No one really comes through to Perivale unless you've got to go to Perivale. So it wasn't a physical necessity that he had to go either to Samaria then or today. He has to go through the Perivale. But it is a spiritual necessity. There is a spiritual necessity for Jesus to come to Perivale. It's, there's no, it's not an accident. It's no accident that Jesus has come to Café Rendezvous. It's part of a greater plan. You see, Jesus is tired from his journey. He's walking it. He probably hasn't come by the tube. He hasn't finished up at Perivale tube station. He's been walking and he's tired. And he comes to the cafe and he sits down. Can you imagine it? And you come into the cafe and you sit down next to Jesus and he starts talking to you and he asks for some refreshments. It's a cafe after all. You get into conversation with Jesus and what do you talk about? You talk about the, the running of the cafe and the running of Hope Community Church. When you talk about to Jesus about the running of the cafe and the running of the church, what do you say to him? You talk about how small the building is, how cramped we are. We've just got blessed this morning by these lovely chairs and the old wooden chairs have gone somewhere else, but it's cramped and we're all, it's a bit, and we can't see one another. The service is gone for too long, you know. One or two people who we won't mention by name do speak rather a long time and the services go on and on and on sometimes. And it's going to be so cramped when all these other people come that there might even be two services. And you talk to Jesus and you say, how inconvenient is it going to be to the two services? Some of us will have to get up very early in the morning. Other people will say, oh, we'll be coming a bit later and we won't be able to get a cup of coffee. You talk to Jesus about running of the, service, of the services. And the cafe? Well, what about the cafe? You moan to Jesus about all these people who come in. You know those people who come in here and expect to get a full English breakfast? And we don't serve full English breakfast. Why do they keep coming in and asking for bacon and eggs and, and all this sort of stuff, sausages, and, but we don't do full English breakfast? And as for that coffee machine, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You complain that it, it didn't grind in the week and they had to give it a bash and a knock and a, to make it work. And you don't really understand how this coffee machine really works. In any case, it doesn't do the coffee that you like. The particular coffee that you want. You moan about the coffee and the way that the cafe is run. And you know the whole focus of your conversation with Jesus is on the structure. It's all about processes. It's all about procedures. It's all the way it's organised, the way it works, and it's the way it's done. 
The focus is on the organization of the church and the cafe and the structure. And you're just like the woman of Samaria. Jesus comes in in the midst of all her things about structures and organizations, the way of doing things. And suddenly in the midst of the drudgery, the midst of the routine, the sameness, the dullness, the drabness of everything, unexpectedly and surprisingly, Jesus comes into her life and meets with her. And nothing in her life is the same again. And if you have that meeting with Jesus, nothing in your life will be the same again. Jesus and the woman came to a well. You see, in the land of Israel, it's a land which is dry. It frequently experiences drought. And people were keenly aware of water resources. And they were keenly aware of the quality of the water. Springs and rivers that ran all year long were few and far between, particularly in the land of Samaria. And the land relied on cisterns to catch the water and to store the water from the winter rains. They also had wells which they tapped into for the underground resources and cisterns. You see, in Jewish culture, dead water was tepid water. It referred to standing water, stagnant water. But living water <coughs> referred to moving, as in rivers and springs and rainfall. And what we're talking about this morning is living water. It's moving in and experiencing that which is living and that which is flowing. Fresh water of God. The distinguishing between the dead water and the living water explains why the woman of Samaria was so perplexed when Jesus offered her living water. Where, in this place, were you going to get that living water? It didn't exist. That's why the well was dug, in order to try and find some water. And that was in the well. There was nothing flowing, and Jesus said, I'm going to give you living water. Samaria had no river, and Jacob had to build this well, and he had to dig a well there. So how could Jesus offer her superior water. I want to put to you this morning that Hope Community Church, that Café Rendezvous, is a biblical well. So don't think in terms of a café in the natural. Start thinking in terms of it as a biblical well. If you want a definition of biblical well, I'll give you this one. It's a place where local people come to drink and collect their water. People from further afield in the region come and find refreshment. 
and those who are passing through on longer journeys come to the well for rest and substance on their journey. Are you still thinking about a physical cafe, a physical well? Or are you moving into that spiritual dimension? You see, you might be like this woman at Samaria. You see, when John writes in his gospel and he talks about a well, he uses a Greek word which is called phrear, P-H-R-E-A-R. But when the woman talks about the well, she uses a different word. She uses the word pege. Now the difference between the two is that a pege is a structure. It's a, it's a big pit or a, it's a hole. So when she talks about the well, she's talking about this abyss, this big well and this big hole and, that goes down into the ground. And when John, when he writes, and, and later when Jesus talks about it, he uses the well, he talks about a spring of living water. So the woman's talking about this structure of the well, and Jesus is talking about this flowing river, this fountain that comes out. See, one refers to a pit or a shaft leading into an abyss or a bottomless pit, where Jesus and John are talking about a river that's flowing, a spring or a fountain that's bubbling up. The woman focuses on the structure, where Jesus is focusing on the living water. And we've got to get our minds around this sort of thing. We've got to consider it, that we're not talking about the literal things. We're talking about the spiritual things. Remember the Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus and he says to him, you must be born again. He thinks of it in the natural. How can I be born again? How can I go into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, no, you must be born of the Spirit. So we're not talking about physical water. We're not talking about physical cups of coffee. We're not talking about a physical cafe. We're talking about a biblical well, a place of refreshment where living water is flowing all the time. You see, like the Samaritan woman, Jesus is talking to us about spiritual things. But our thinking so often is only in the natural. It's only in the material. We miss the whole point of what Jesus is saying so often. What about you? Does what is said up here seem so ridiculous and silly? We're talking about sowers and sowing seeds and digging up the ground last week. It's, we don't do that around here. Sometimes we might dig up our garden, but it's not something that we do in Perivale, not normal. What's all this business about spiritual water? Natural water, cups of coffee. We've got to change our thinking. Do you have that spiritual perception? Romans 12 talks to us about we need to renew our minds by the Holy Spirit. We need to make our thinking come in line with God's thinking. His thoughts and our thoughts to be in line with one another. God is calling us to be an oasis. God wants this place to be an oasis. 
Not that there is water overflowing from the toilets or from the sinks, etc. But there are springs of living water coming out from this place all the time. And you see, so many of us are building systems and structures which restrict God from doing what he wants to do. We want to fit him into a narrow way of doing things. We want to fit him into a particular way of doing things. And he wants to burst out of those. He wants to go his own way. He wants to do his own thing. And we're saying, no, it's got to be done in this way. It's got to be done this particular way, at this particular time, in this particular place. And God's saying, no, you're restricting me. I want you to be an oasis. We're relying on the dead water. So many of us, you know, are relying on the dead water. We've had it in the past. We had received the water 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe. And we're still relying on that same water to nourish us and feed us. But God's saying there's a river of living water that he wants to come from us. Andrew mentioned it last week. He quoted that uh, great cry of Jesus. Out of your very beings will come rivers of living water. That's what God wants to do in our midst. In this place to have rivers of living water. He wants us to be people who are channels of his blessing. People that, who's the, who can flow through. He wants, he wants the rivers of living water that we've been talking about this morning to flow through us. To be channels of living water. He's looking for people who will be that channel of living water to this dry and thirsty land. We look around us and we see Perivale and we see this is a dry and a desert place. This is a thirsty land. This is a wilderness around about us. And God wants rivers of living water to flow out, to touch people. How can he touch? How can he flow out through us to this dry and needy world? He wants streams of his living water to be continually flowing through us with no restrictions it says in Jeremiah 2.13, God says, My people have committed two sins. Wow. First of all, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. That's the first one. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold the water. And that's what's happened is that the cisterns that we do, the structures that we put in, the processing procedures and the organisation, it doesn't hold the water, it's got holes, they're broken, it falls out and it doesn't go everywhere. It's like having a hose pipe with lots of holes in and the water doesn't come out the other end. Could this be the same with some of us? See, God wants us to be an artesian well and the definition of an artesian well is that which is supplied, the water is supplied from a higher source. Isn't that a lovely definition? And you know, these artesian wells are very often up on, up on the hills. I do remember being out on the other uh, side of Cheshire one day and was, was driving just outside, went through Cheshire and came out the other side, and the road was flooded. I stopped off at a pub there and had some lunch and spoke to the landlady and said, What's this, what's this flood you've got here? You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 oh, no, it's been there for weeks. It's the, it's the wells which are on top of the hill. The, the level of the water level had gone up so high, the water was flowing off the river, flowing off the side of the hill, flowing down, and it was flooding into the road. An artesian well, a well that is supplied from a higher source. And we know what that higher source is. 
He wants us to be fountains. He wants us to have fountains to be bubbled up, not stagnant, tepid, horrible, mucky water. I said before that Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this he meant the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that living water flowing within people. And he said that at the festival of the shelters. This fell at a dry period of time in the year for the Jewish people. And it included an emphasis on water. So here Jesus steps forward and makes this extravagant claim. Anyone who is looking for living water should come to him and drink because he is the source of the living water. Jesus is the source of that living water. You won't get it anywhere else. You can see the sign, can't you, outside. You won't get this anywhere else. It's only Jesus. It's not in any other religion. Some people will feel that you can get to God, you can receive the goodness of God through another religion. Jesus says, it's only through me. There is only one way for the living water. He is the source. And Joel prophesied this earlier. And again, Paul has reminded us this morning. He said that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Joel said that there would be, the temples would be a source of living water, a fountain or a spring that would be ever flowing water to the dry places around. And we are the temples these days. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the place where this living water flows or should be flowing. The Holy Spirit should be inside us and should be flowing outside of us flowing rivers of living water. Are these living water flowing through you? You see, there's so much in the Gospel of John which talks about the fullness of God. It talks about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, the abundance of it. Right at the very beginning, in John 1.14, he says, Out of his fullness we have received all grace in place of grace already given. And later in John 10.10, 10, that wonderful thing about the, good, the, the shepherd and the sh- uh, of the flock. He said, I've come that you might have abundant life. But are we people who have got that abundant life? See, the good news of the gospel, and gospel means good news, is that it is good news. It's not okay news, or it's not, not bad news. It's wonderful news. It's glorious news. He comes to give us abundant life. He comes that we might be overflowing. It's not a dripping tap. It's not a trickle. But do we live in that abundance? Do we live in that overflowing? Do we live in the living water? Or are we just content with the meagre little tepid water that we've got? You see, many Christians... Many Christians today, and that's one of the great difficulties, they fail to realise that the Christian life is something which is wonderful and magnificent and glorious. They make it too small. 
They make it, Christian life is all about what we do. It's our religion. It's our practice. And so often what we're offering to people is so tepid, is so unpleasant water, that people say, well, if that's all it is, why should I, what's in it for me? Why should I have it? If that's all you've got, if that's all you're offering, if that's all that there is in the Christian life, why should I bother? It's tepid water rather than the fresh living water that Jesus wants to offer. You see, some of us only want, we want forgiveness from sins. We want to get to heaven. That's, and that's, that was it. Now, I must confess that's why I became a Christian in the first place. When I was a boy of 11, I wanted to go to heaven. That was it. And I thought, that's what I will do. And I asked Jesus into my life so I could go to heaven. You know, I've got my ticket, as it were. But I've gone to realise over the years that it's not just a ticket to heaven. There's a wonderful experience that we can have now. And that we can know and experience the reality of living in the presence of God and enjoying his presence and enjoying the presence of one another. It's not just a ticket to heaven so that we can avoid going to hell. But that was my, I, I, I just wanted to avoid going to hell. And so many of us, I suspect, that is all we're in for. We just want to get into heaven and avoid going to hell. But why stop with so little? So many of us in the Christian life have failed to realise the abundance of the Christian life with a full experience of the love of God, of his love and his grace. Oh, if I was only Uganda now, I'd be running around and I'd be jumping up and down on the, uh, on the stage, but you feel a little bit restricted here sometimes when you go to these other places. But this, this is wonderful stuff. This is good news. This is the gospel. It's abundant. It's overflowing. It's delightful. It's a lovely, fresh glass of water, as it were. It's, it's wonderful to have. Not a... Not a tepid, not a hot water trying to drink when you're really thirsty and it's all salty, it's unpleasant. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. We know from John chapter 4 and verse 14 that the water that Jesus gives, which is the Holy Spirit, is to be a spring of living water. Have you got that spring of living water coming from you? Is it bursting out? You cannot contain it, as it were. Is that our testimony? If you haven't got it, why not? You see, the Samaritan woman had lots of prejudices. She had lots of hang-ups from the past. And many of us today are still hanging on to things from the past. We're hanging on to similar things. That's why we talk about the procedures. That's why we talk about the structures, the systems, the way things should be, the way things must be. These are, these are just the externals. These are the, these are the trappings that go with it. We're, we're like the woman at Samaria. We're more concerned with the structure of the well 
than we are with the living water that's coming out of the well. We concentrate and we focus on the structures, the systems, the procedures, the processes. This is due to our background. This is the way we've been brought up. This is the way that we've been taught. We've been to a particular type of church. We met with a church to a particular sort of place and this is the way we think things should be done. You go to different places, if you've been brought up in a different place, in a different background, you would have got a different lot of experience. You would have had a, a liturgy, you would have had a form of worship and you stuck to that particular form. We do this and we do this and we do this and we do this and it doesn't change. We do the same thing week in, week out. That's the way it's done. That's the way it has been. That's the way it always will be. But God says, no, 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 it's not in the structures. It's in the flow of the living water. It's the flow of the spirit. Much of this is due to our background, the way we've been brought up. And we can be so prejudiced about it that we can refuse whatever God wants to do in our lives. We've refused this living water because if we, if we feel that we've got to have this living water, then it implies that there's something not quite right in us. We don't want to think that there's something wrong with us or the wrong with the system. And so often that occurs that we do not want to change, we don't want to go with the flow of God because it will be upsetting the status quo and it implies that there's something wrong with the past. We need to realise who we are meant to be. We need to realise who we meant to be. And a key part of revival, a key aspect of revangelism, is that a church that realises what it ought to be and what it can be. Mark Stibby, uh, who was at Chorley Wood for some time, was all often saying something like, when you've got the cloud, you'll get the crowd. If you've got the cloud of the Spirit of God, then you'll get the crowd of people. People will crowd to where the Spirit of God is. And evangelism there is such, a revival is such, if you've got the cloud, then you'll have the crowd. And there will be change in people's lives when they realise that there is living water in a particular place. If you're in a dry and a thirsty land and someone finds water, then people go to it in the natural. If people have got something which is living and active and wonderful and beautiful, people will flood to this place. The word will soon go round and people will come here. Evangelism. Revival. If you want that, be the people that God meant you to be and intends for you to be. See, when this well of living water is not within us, we're not only robbing ourselves of the riches of his grace, but we're also becoming unworthy representatives of the gospel to the world outside remains ignorant and remains in darkness. So the way to revival in evangelism is when each member of the church realises what they ought to be. This is why we want to see everybody to discover their spiritual gifting, what it's meant, what they're meant to be and to be released into it and to flow into it, to go with it. If you're meant to be what you're meant to be, if you become what you're meant to be and flow in that anointing, 
We've heard about the anointing being there. If the anointing is on you and you flow in that anointing, then things will happen and things will change. This is the living water that we are talking about. We be released into the fullness of who we really are. And we cannot really live without God. That's the thing. Just in the same way that we cannot really live without water. We cannot really live without God. A life devoid of listening to him and being met by him spells emptiness and not fullness. This living water is for everyone. It includes the lowest of the low. In the story, the lowest of the low was a woman from Samaria. You don't get any lower than that in Jewish eyes. It's not something for the super spiritual. I don't know who they are or what that is, but it's not for the super spiritual, whoever they might be. It's for everyone. But we need to have that spiritual dissatisfaction. We need to have something more than what we have at the moment. And we see in John 4 and verse 15 that Jesus creates a desire or a longing in the woman so that she wants some of this living water that Jesus is talking about. And this, this dissatisfaction, spiritual dissatisfaction, will happen to us in our lives, take place with us. Is there a dissatisfaction with you? A spiritual dissatisfaction? A longing for something more. There must be something more. It must be better than this. But just look at the gentle way that Jesus deals with a sinful woman. And he does the same thing with us today. As with the Samaritan woman, when she was confronted with the living water, she had to face up with, with the dysfunctional relationships that she was in. We must also face up to some of the dysfunctional relationships that we are in. Many of you have, will know, or you will know that the great command is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's that relationship is key to the gospel, it's fundamental. But so many of us have dysfunctional relationships. Some of you may not be living with a partner or the partner that you're living with may not be your husband or wife. You may not even be living with your husband and wife. Messed up though you are, Jesus loves you and deals with you in such a gentle way. One of the things that I love about you folks is that you're such a messed up bunch of people. I've never known such a messed up group of people and I just love you. You're just wonderful, you're family. And I feel that God loves you even more than I love you. And I, yeah, it's just, it's, you're just, a, when I say you're messed up, that's not derogatory, meant to be derogatory. You, but you're, you're just lovely. I just love you to bits, sort of thing. And you're a real family. And God loves you that way. But he doesn't want you to stay that way necessarily. And he deals with you in this lovely, gentle way, in the same way as he did with a Samaritan woman. But just like the Samaritan woman, you try to wriggle out of it. You have all sorts of sort of excuses. You, you come up with different things. You try and distract it. You're in this cafe again with Jesus and he's starting to talk about some of these relationships you're in. And you try to wriggle out of it. You try to be evasive. You try to deflect the conversation and to move it onto something else. But Jesus is not going to be sidetracked. 
and he continues to persevere. And Jesus will not be sidetracked by all these things that you're trying to talk to him about. He wants to get to the nub of things. And part of that nub of things is that we are not to be slaves to systems. Like the Samaritan woman, you try and distract Jesus by talking about worship. And you know, so much of our worship is governed by habit or tradition or customs. We think that worship is confined to a particular place. It's confined to a particular time. But this worship is mechanical. It's a matter of doing our duty. We come here to do our duty. And many Christians do not worship. They just come to hear a sermon. In many churches today, the worship comprises ritual, liturgy, and as a form of worship that is external and elaborate. Jesus wants more than this. Jesus said that the Samaritans worship what they did not know. Is that what happens to you? Could the same thing apply to you? You're worshipping someone that you do not know. In Acts chapter 17, verse 23, Paul tells the people of Athens that they are ignorantly worshipping an unknown God. Do you come here on a Sunday morning and worship an unknown God? You see, the Greek word for know, as I've mentioned to you a number of times before, is gnosko, which means not just an intellectual knowledge, it's an intimate knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. You need to have an experiential knowledge of God. It's not just head knowledge. I, I could say that I know the Queen. I don't really know her. I know about her, but I don't really know her. In the same way we can know about God, but we've got no experience of God. To know God is to have an intimate, experiential knowledge of him, not about him. Because Jesus is saying here about spiritual worshippers. Jesus says that the place and the time doesn't really matter for spiritual worshippers. It's not a particular place, or it's not a particular building, it's not a particular ceremony, it's not a particular ritual. For the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, it didn't matter, he's saying, whether it's Mount uh, Gerizim or it's Mount Zion, that ultimately matters. But whether God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. God is everywhere. And God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. In his mercy, the Lord gave this nameless Samaritan woman a key which opened up, which transformed her life, restored her relationship, and removed her shame. And you know, that key was worship. See, God the Father is personally and actively conducting a divine search. He's looking for those who really worship him. He's more concerned about the worship. He's not so much concerned about the worship, sorry, as more concerned about the worshippers. You see, worship is what we do. A worshipper 
It's who we are. It's something, it's a lifestyle. And Jesus goes on to say his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 24. Jesus is not making a suggestion here. This is a command. This is an order. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's essential. It's not an optional extra. The great command which I mentioned before of Mark 12 and 20 is to worship God. And those who worship God must be genuine worshippers as opposed to those who merely go through the motions. They're participating in outward ceremony and structures. This mechanical form of worship is done out of habit, custom and obligation. But God wants our worship to be constant and continuous, not occasional, no hypocrisy. It's to be in spirit and in truth. God wants worshippers, true worshippers, to be worshipping in in spirit and in truth with a true heart. No hypocrisy, no religious acts. He wants sincere hearts, loyal and true. That's the people he wants to worship him. Worship is much more than an outward display of things, but it's founded upon an inward transformation. It could be said that Jesus came to seek and to save the Father's lost worshippers. God is looking. That's why he comes to the cafe here in Perivale. He comes looking for lost worshippers. He wants to restore that worship to his people. And may God remove any wrong ideas about worship or who God really is so that we now realise and experience the very presence of God. Let me close this stage with a couple of illustrations of what we're talking about with living water. Uh, Many of you will know of uh, Walter Henry's love of fishing. Well, some years ago, I was talking to uh, Wally and uh, we were talking about his fishing in the lake down there at the end of the Greenford uh, Road. And he was telling me about what he was doing at the beginning of the year. And I said to him, can can you come down and can you show me this? And so we went down to the the fishing lake there at the at uh, nearly Uxbridge Road at the bottom of the Greenford Road there. And he showed me round the, the lake. And the lake is being fed by a, a stream, a stream of water that's coming in. But over the year, during the year, the, the stream gets clogged up with all sorts of rubbish and silt and, and things in there. And at the beginning of the year, they have to go into dig, dig it out, dig all this silt out so that fresh water comes flowing into the lake. If you don't get the fresh water coming into the lake, then the fish die and there's no fishing. So it's important that there is this fresh water coming into the, in, into the lake there. And so that's a little job that they have to do at the beginning of the year. And so he showed me the, the stream that's coming down and we, we walked up the hill to the stream and he said, this is where the stream comes from. He said, when I dug around a little bit and poked around a little bit here and I took off the cap, suddenly fresh water came up. Fresh water came bubbling up and it was flowing down into the stream. And all it needed to do was to take the top off where where this well was to take some of the muck into the 
and the earth that was around, and suddenly fresh water was flowing from the top of the hill. And this is what God wants to do with us. He wants to take some of the rubbish away. All you need to do is to take some of the rubbish away, and this water flows up. That's what artesian wells about. It's coming from a higher source, the fresh water flowing. And we need to have that fresh water flowing, that living water flowing into our lives, otherwise we die. So he takes me up a little bit further. He says, Dormer's Wells School at the top here. He said that the gardeners around there were going to, wanting to do something in the school and they had this lake and they dug it around a little bit to make a sort of a pond for the children and so forth. But they messed up the, the, the eco-structure at the top there. And so the water started pouring out from the top of the hill in this pond where the school was and it was running down the hill and it went over the path that the residents in the area used to walk along. And it was flooded. The water was coming out, it was flooded over this, this pathway. And the residents, quite rightly, got so annoyed by it, they complained to the council. So what the council did is that they dug underneath the path and they put in a pipe. So the water could flow from the lake at the top underneath the path through this pipe and go into the area roughly where this well was and into the stream that was flowing down into the lake. He said, I'll show it to you. So we went up there and there it was, gone. It didn't exist. And so I walked around a little bit and I said to, I said to Wally, I said, the water is not coming down this pipe that the council have dug and provided. It's come around a different way. And I said, isn't that a wonderful illustration? We think that we're going to get God to channel this water through this particular pipe and this particular structure. And God says, no, I'm going to do it a different way. We cannot have those structures, you see. God will do what he wants to do, not use our particular structures and systems, etc., to do it. Some of you may have heard of Death Valley in, in California, one of the driest places on earth. You see, rain in Death Valley is very rare. And consequently, the, the area is really devoid of life. It's dry, it's barren. If you get stuck in there without any water, you're dead. That's why it's known as Death Valley. And so for year upon year upon year upon year, there is nothing there but dryness. But very occasionally, they get some rainfall. And as soon as they get some rain, very little rain, the plants start growing again in this place. It might have been dead dryness there for 20, 30 years. And suddenly there's a little rain. And suddenly Death Valley blossoms again. The seeds in the soil germinate and the flowers grow rapidly and reproduce, laying down seeds to wait for next year's rain. And I believe this is what God wants for us. We may look around. We may seem that this place is a dry and a desert place. But when the living water of God's Spirit comes, suddenly, <laughs> miraculously, 
You don't get things growing in Death Valley. But in God's terminology, in the natural you do, in the supernatural you do, that there will be life flowing, even in a place called Perivale, when the living water flows. Let me read to you what I believe that God wants to, uh, to do in our lives. This is, uh, this is Isaiah. This is a declaration over, uh, over Perivale, which I believe God wants to do with the living water. Isaiah 35. And I declare this over your lives, and I declare this over Perivale. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So strengthen the feeble knees. Steady the needs that give way. Say to those who are fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with a vengeance. He will come with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And the lame will leap for joy. They will be like deer. And the mute tongues will shout for joy. And water will gush in the wilderness. And streams in the desert place. The burning sand will become a pool. And the thirsty ground bubbling springs. Hallelujah. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyruses will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called a highway of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed of the Lord will walk there and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. May God bring about that living water in our midst to bring that into being in the near future. Amen.